invite you to turn in your Bibles to our scripture passage today, Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. Isaiah 25, starting in verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning, Lord, this passage that holds out the hope of an eternal peace. And Lord, we don't know that peace right now. All of us are weighed down by various things. Lord, you know the heart of every single person that's come here, and you know where there is no peace in their life. And so as we look at your word, and as I preach your word, we pray that your spirit would do something supernatural in the lives of every person that has come to lift our eyes, to show us Jesus, and to make us look more like Christ, and to even be able to taste the first fruits of that banquet in which God has invited us to. And that would give us a strength to keep pressing on till we make it home. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So one of the things that I love about the holidays is uh, all the great food. What are some of the best meals that you've ever had, whether at the holidays or, or any other time? I'm bad at picking any sort of favorites, but I can think of a handful of meals that I've had that I will never forget. There are some meals that the food was simply amazing and just everything was so perfectly crafted and, and it just brought your taste buds to life. There are other meals, though, that that were still good but carry a greater significance because of the situation around that meal. Uh, Probably a a number of you know that after college, uh, I had a little bit of time after graduating and going into the military where I decided to backpack the Colorado Trail. And so this is a trail that runs uh, some 486 miles from Denver in the middle of the state down to Durango in the southwest corner of the state. And uh, most of the trails above 10,000 feet, and the, the highest part is some 13,271 feet. And so for 37 days, I hiked out through the Rocky Mountains and in the wilderness, carrying everything I needed. And I got three resupplies for my fa- from my family along the way. And and my dad and sister joined me over the 4th of July weekend and, and hiked with me for a bit. And during that time, I ate a lot of ramen noodles with canned tuna and freeze-dried beans. That was kind of my go-to dinner day after day after day. And when I finally got to Durango, I checked into this cheap hotel 
And for lunch, I had a little bit of my leftover typical lunch, which was usually some crackers and granola bar, a candy bar, um, maybe uh, some sort of dried meat. And I sat on this old picnic table, which was amazing. Uh, tables we take for granted. The table is one of the most wonderful inventions for a way to be able to eat your meal, much better than on the ground. And then I ate the last of my food, and I looked forward to dinner. And I had found by going through the phone book, this was before Yelp, a steakhouse in Durango. And I went there that night and I ordered, I think, one of its most expensive things on the menu, which cost like $37 or $35 back then. And I sat in that steakhouse all by myself and I had a smile on my face and people were probably wondering, what is up with this guy? And I probably looked a little bit homeless too. And I savored every single bite of that steak. I chewed it and just enjoyed all of the juices of, you know, fresh cooked meat and every bite of mashed potatoes. I kind of like mushed them around in my mouth as I, as I played with them with my tongue. And each green bean, I delighted as I heard that crunch of a fresh vegetable, something that I hadn't experienced in many weeks. And the food was amazing. It was one of those meals I'll never forget, although probably I wasn't the best judge of food at that point because you could have served me Taco Bell and I would have thought it was a five-star meal. But the meal was so special because it represented something more than just the food. The completion of this accomplishment that had tested me, that had pushed me, that had changed my life in certain ways. And that is what the meal described in our passages. God is this master chef making an incredible meal, but it's a meal that he's waiting to serve until all of his people make it home. It's a meal that all of creation is longing for. We're wrapping up a series for this Advent called Peace on Earth with a question mark at the end of it because as many of you know, one of the themes of the Christmas time is that Jesus came to bring peace on earth. It's how Jesus' birth was announced by the angels when they said glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace on those whose favor rests. And yet we can ask, where is that peace? It didn't seem to come with Jesus in his life. He ended up being arrested by a mob and then killed by the government. It doesn't seem to be that peace that we see any peace in our day, where wars continue and hate is strong. But what we'll see in our passage is just because it's dark right now, peace is coming. And eternal peace is coming for all of God's people. That's what I want us to remember, an eternal peace is coming. And we're going to look at this in three ways. First, meals past then meals present, and then last, meals future. So meals past. Our passage begins with it saying, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. Now, many commentators have noted similarities between this passage and another meal that Israel ate at a significant point in its history. And this is back in Sinai, that after the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt, and they were on their own, we could call, long backpacking trip through the Sinai Peninsula, they arrived at this mountain, Mount Sinai. And God invites Moses, their leader, and Aaron, their high priest, and other leaders to come up to that mountain. And Exodus 24, 10 says, There they saw the God of Israel. 
Under his feet, there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue, lapis lazuli, a gem, as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a meal, eating and drinking in his presence. And here the leaders, after knowing their God from a long-distance relationship in Israel, they get to share a meal with this God they'd only known from a distance. They get to eat in his presence. But it's only the leaders. Not all the people get to come up. In fact, many times God tells them to tell Moses, you need to stay at the bottom of the mountain. Don't touch it. Don't come near. But here in our passage, we see God is preparing a meal for every single one of his people, that none of God's people are excluded. Everybody gets to come and see God face to face and to be in his presence. Everybody has a seat at the table. And we can't miss the global vision. People from all nations, every tribe, every tongue, every skin color is there, here gathered at this great banquet of all creation. That meal that they ate back on Sinai was a feast to commemorate how God had saved them from slavery and was leading them home. But it was a preview of a later meal that they would long to eat when they would be settled in their new home, when they wouldn't be traveling through the desert, but would be eating in their forever home. And as the people would discover, there were going to be many hard things between that meal with God on Sinai and when they finally got to their home. The wilderness was big. It would be hard. They would fail along the way. They would lose hope. Essentially, all of them would end up dying in the wilderness. And there's a similarity to our life here. When you first become a Christian, or maybe when your faith is really first renewed and you take it seriously, you're excited. God seems to be working. You experience God in new and greater ways. You see these incredible changes in your life, and maybe you have something like a Sinai experience where you feel God's presence, and you're, this is amazing, and you, you experience what it's like to know God for the first time. But then suddenly you discover from that moment to the end is a great big wilderness, a big desert, and it's hard. And you'll discover that following God hasn't fixed everything in your life. And God now seems distant. Pain comes back into your life. You experience great losses. Old addictions and habits come roaring back. And in this journey to know Christ, you can feel like there's a giant inversion hanging over your heart. And you can't even see that mountain where God was. And this brings us to our second point, meals present. So as Israel traveled through the wilderness, they would offer sacrifices to their God. Each day they would offer various sacrifices, and those sacrifices were in some ways like a meal. They had echoes of that meal back on Sinai. But then they also were a reminder that one day we won't just offer sacrifices out here in the wilderness, but we'll be with God in his presence. It was a way of reminding the people when they were traveling through the wilderness when they were worried about robbers and raiding parties in the desert, that better days are coming. There will be peace on earth. We won't be living out here in the desert forever, so keep on walking, keep traveling. Don't give up. Don't lose sight of that promised land. 
get back on the trail and start hiking the next day, even when it's hurt, even when it hurts. But then Israel would get to the promised land, and they would settle down, and they would build homes, and yet there was an aspect in which the work was still not done. They had enemies that still surrounded them. They lost you know, some of their land. They fell into sin. And they would continue to offer those sacrifices. And it was a way of reminding them that, again, God's work is not yet finished. One day God will dwell with you in person, and you'll eat and drink with him. And we, too, look forward to that same heavenly feast that the Israelites of old looked forward to. And God has given us a meal like he did the Israelites to remind us of that coming feast. That's what communion is. That's what the Lord's Supper is. It points backwards to Christ's death on the cross, his sacrifice for us. But it also points forward to that feast that God is preparing in heaven. What we have here is like a little appetizer of that wine and that bread. You've got to wait for the steak that God is preparing. And the Lord's Supper is one of God's ways to remind you week after week to not give up, to stay on the journey, to keep walking, that we're all on a really long backpacking trip through this life, but there's a steak dinner awaiting you at the end. And this daily or this weekly meal reminds you that God has not forgotten you, but he is going to supply your daily needs, your daily grace, your daily bread, until one day you've made it home. But we have something even better living on this side of Christ and the cross than those believers in the Old Testament did. The author of Hebrews contrasts that day on Sinai with what we have as believers. He writes in Hebrews 12, 18 and 19, You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. But then he goes on to say, no, that for Christians living on this side of the cross, you aren't looking back to Sinai and that experience, but you are actually looking forward or even experiencing something of Sinai right now, something better. Hebrews 12, 22. No, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness. There's a lot going on there, but essentially the author is describing a new and better Sinai experience for believers, Mount Zion. It's not something that's a physical mountain that you go and, and travel to, but it's a, a spiritual place. It's ultimately heaven. It's the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, where God is. It's the place where thousands of angels have gathered in joyful assembly. It's where all of God's people from all generations have gathered together and are perfected. It's where Jesus is. 
And it's referring to the same mountain in our passage. On this mountain, Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people. Everyone is gathered for the ultimate Christmas dinner, a joyful festal assembly. And notice, when will you be there? Again, going back to Hebrews 12, 22 and following. You have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn. You have come to God himself. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven. You have come to Jesus. The author is speaking to New Testament believers like you and I. And is it clear what he's saying? It's clear. It might not make sense, but he's being clear that you as Christians, when you put your faith in Christ, you have come to heaven right now. Right now, specifically, when you gather to worship, there is a sense in which you are gathered with all of God's people and the angels in a joyful assembly, worshiping God in heaven. Here, on this day, in this place, united with people from around the world, you already have one foot in heaven. And how is that? There's a couple things going on. First off, You get to taste the first fruits of that joyful assembly because Christ drank the bitter wine of judgment on the cross. A wine of judgment that you and I deserved, and he drank it to the last drop so that all that is left for us is the wine of joyful assembly, the wine of the feast. And when you put your faith in him, You get united to Christ. That is what it means to be a Christian, that your life is enveloped in Christ's life. And so that because Christ has ascended into heaven, you are there in heaven right now with Christ. And so when we gather together, it's like we are all gathering in God's heavenly kitchen where he is the master chef busy at work preparing that meal that he's been planning for centuries and millennia. And he's giving us little tastes as he prepares that meal. Here, try this. Is it ready yet? And he's saying, this is the meal that I'm preparing for you. It's why it's important for us to gather each week to be reminded and to remind each other that something better awaits us. To not get distracted and think this is your home, this is as good as it's going to get, or to think this is what you need to pursue and what is ultimate in life, but to say a better meal awaits you. Don't forget where you're headed. Don't give up. Keep pressing forward. So this means that if you're a Christian, you can have a great assurance even in the middle of the wilderness that no matter how hard it gets, how dark it is, how painful it is, right now your life is hidden with Christ on high. Your life is held in Christ's life, and he will not let you go. So don't give up. Keep walking. Christ guarantees that you'll make it home. And this brings us to the third point. We've spent a good bit of time kind of looking around our passage, but hopefully it's going to make it more clear now as we look at it specifically. I want you to see a few things first off. One, God is preparing a feast. Have you ever thought about God as a master chef? 
He's the best chef. He's the chef that ultimately all the chefs of this world are trying to imitate in their work. And he gives us a little sneak peek of what's on the menu. A feast of rich food. The best meat. The Hebrew words literally speak of fattened meat and marrow. The best, most rich, tasty and succulent portions of meat God is preparing for that feast. And wine that is aged, it's well-refined, it's filtered, it's clear, it's been sitting in this cellar, and God's been waiting to open it. And on our journey to know Christ, it's like right now we're on this long backpacking trip. So don't expect the food to be all that great. It's going to sustain you, but better food's coming. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. You're going to have nights you don't sleep well. You're going to get hurt. But that's not how it's going to end. You won't die in the wilderness. It's hard right now because we're going somewhere. And there's evil in the wilderness, evil that is trying to harm God's people. But God, like a shepherd, watches over his people and makes sure you'll make it home. And this needs to set our expectations for this life. That if this life is kind of like a big backpacking trip, you know, one of the worst things to do if you're going backpacking is to pack too much stuff, right? Because then it weighs you down and it's kind of this downward spiral because then you get more blisters and your back aches and you can't go very far. and, And then you just continue to kind of spiral out of control. And the problem for so many of us Christians is that we forget we're on a backpacking trip through this world. We're trying to carry too much stuff. We're trying to hold on too much stuff. We're thinking, oh, if I don't have this now, I'll never experience something this great. But look at what God is saying. That you could have the best things this world has to offer, but it won't even touch what awaits in heaven. And he's saying that everything that you give up in this world for Jesus, that in the end, you won't miss out on a thing. Because God is preparing the best meal this world has ever known. It's a meal that the most exclusive re- will make the most exclusive restaurants that you can go to today look like they're serving instant ramen and tuna and freeze-dried beans. The best is yet to come. And so set your sights on the realities of heaven and that meal that awaits God's people. The other thing to notice here in our passage is look what God is doing in conjunction with this meal. He's not just giving you a good meal, but it's a meal that represents the redemption of the world. Verse 7, And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. It's like we are living in a world that is cloaked under an eternal inversion. That is what death is. I like how the New Living Translation puts it. He will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. And doesn't that describe life today? We've got many blessings, so many things to be thankful for. But not a day goes by when you aren't reminded, sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes in painful ways, of the cloud of gloom the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. And we can't escape it. There are things that maybe have happened to you 
that still cast a shadow of death over your life. There's ways your children have suffered that cast a shadow of gloom over their life. There are heart-wrenching tragedies that break into our lives. Sometimes you feel like you're alive to pain like never before. And you live in this inversion of death. And unlike the inversions we get here in this valley, you can't drive 45 minutes to get out of it and see everything bright and sunny. Everywhere you go, the smell of death follows us. And pain can haunt you. And it seeps into every corner of your life like campfire smoke does when you're camping, and it gets into everything. But what will God do? He'll swallow it all up. Verse 8, he will swallow up death forever. It's like God is waiting to take this giant breath in or he breathes everything in. And in that moment, he sucks every molecule of death from every corner of this world into himself. And it will never return. And then what? Again, I like the, the New Living Translation. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and his people. The ways that you've been insulted, the ways maybe for following Jesus that you've been derided, the shame of the things that have happened to you, the things that still haunt you, the mocking voices you still hear, the people that you love who have been violated and wronged and lost their innocence and it's never coming back, the sadness you see in those you love. God is saying that one day the weight of everything that you've carried in this life and that burden that just gets older and heavier the older you are, the weight of ongoing sicknesses, Heartbreak and tears, depression and darkness, betrayal and bereavement, isolation and failure. That one day, Jesus will welcome you into the home that he's been preparing. And he'll walk you into that banquet table in his dining room, this massive banquet table, and show you a seat with your name on it. And he'll embrace you and he'll say, welcome home. And in that moment, it's like all those tears that have been adding up over the years of your life will finally come flowing out and out and out. And with his gentle, loving touch, Jesus will lift up his hand and wipe them away forever. And you'll realize now there's peace on earth. You'll feel it in the depths of your soul, this joy, this lightness, to realize that everything that has been wronged has been healed. And all the tears have been cried, and there's only joy left. And you'll be able to say with all of God's people from around the world and throughout the centuries who have suffered in so many ways, surely this is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord we trusted in. Let us rejoice and be glad at his salvation. Everything sad 
will be made untrue, and this whole world will be bright and beautiful. There's the Jewish Midrash, which is an ancient commentary on the Hebrew Scriptures, which is our Old Testament, and it talks about how there's this great feast at the end of days where the righteous will feast on the flesh of the Leviathan and drink the wine that God has been aging from the beginning of creation. And I love the idea in there. We don't have scripture to to really back any of that up, but there's something true in what's it saying. The Leviathan, that beast of chaos, that force that wages against peace, that cannot be contained, that wrecks what is good and beautiful and seeks to destroy everything good in this world, one day that beast will be killed. God's people will feast on its flesh is a sign that it will never torment us again. And we'll drink wine that God has been aging from before the beginning of creation. These special bottles that he's been keeping in his heavenly cellar for that special day, waiting to open them till all of his people are gathered together on that banquet day. And it will be a meal you'll never forget. And so until that day, while we're still backpacking through the wilderness, we watch and we wait for God. And we sing Christmas songs that remind us that what God began in Bethlehem will one day be finished and there will be eternal peace on earth. We sing songs like, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, thou dayspring from on high, and cheer us, by thy drawing nigh, disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would help us to smell and taste that heavenly meal that you're preparing for us. That here as we partake in the Lord's Supper, that it would be a meal that gives us a taste of that banquet in heaven, that heavenly joy. We pray that you would encourage us and remind us these better days are coming no matter how dark it gets now, no matter how hard it is. That we won't die alone in the wilderness forgotten. But God will bring every single one of his people home. And he will fill every single seat at that table. And we'll feast and we'll laugh. And everything will be okay. So help us long for that day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.